Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? The show where I will uncover the stories of domestic abuse survivors. I'm your host, Maya Hooper. Hey guys, and welcome to What Was Her Name? My name is Maya, and I am the host of What Was Her Name? Uh, today, I am here with Melissa Busing. Is that correct? Busing. Yeah. Dang it. Um, and I am just, yeah, really eager to get started. Uh, Melissa, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi. Yes. Thank you, Maya. Um, I'm Melissa Busing. I'm an LPC um, therapist. I'm a licensed professional counselor with the state of Texas. I am um, a therapist going on into my seventh year, and I've been working with different types of populations. I own my actually currently right now my own private practice. I work with individuals, adolescents, adults for all different types of uh, different types of issues, um, domestic violence, down to eating disorders. So I, I, I'm on the full spectrum and what I do in my private practice. So thanks so much for having me here. Yeah. Thanks so much for, for coming on and, and speaking. Um, we got connected through a mutual friend and um, I just love all the connections here and how, um, yeah, I just get connected to so many, so many random people and get to have so many interesting conversations. So um <clears throat> I, you know, I think the first question kind of that I, that I have, and I know that we talked a little bit previously when we were just discussing what we're going to talk about on the episode, um, is really just, I know you said like, you know, your heart is really to help others understand, uh, and identify, you know, depression, anxiety triggers, and then how we cope with those, because, there's so much going on. Once you leave an abusive relationship, you kind of just don't know which way is up and which way is down. And, um, I think a lot of individuals, you know, don't have like the finances to put themselves in therapy or they mm-hmm. have a really hard time finding a really good therapist or someone who knows and is equipped in domestic abuse. So I love that we're having this episode with you because I know that you have a history of like, working with domestic abuse survivors. And so yes. uh, if you want to kind of just, I'm going to just put the ball in your court and you kind of just get started and I'm going to just follow along with you. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, just kind of jumping off of what you just said, I do have experience working. I used to work years ago um, at a domestic violence shelter that I worked with uh, women and children um, and, you know, saw witness a lot of things, how it also plays out for domestic violence, how difficult it is to get out of a situation when you find yourself in that situation. Um, a lot of times uh, us as women, I know that men are also abused, but specifically in relation to what we're talking about today, we'll just address as women, but um, a lot of women have children with a lot of their abusers. So, you know, they have these families and you really have this hope and you have this aspiration that you're just like we all do like that. Our, our family life is going to be different. So then what happens when then you find yourself in a situation where now you're being manipulated, now you're being triangulated, now you're being abused, now it's emotional, now it's getting into physical. And then when you find yourself on the dangerous side of it being physical, right? Because um, everybody is going to experience it. So domestic violence, it shakes the whole house, right? That's what I would say. Um, it shakes the house. Um, and it's unfortunate because it's still continuing happening to this day. Um, we know the statistics, I can always say that out loud, but you know, as of right now, the statistics still show that one in four women are being abused um, or experience some type of domestic violence assault by an intimate partner and one in nine men um, experience uh, physical violence, intimate partner as well. Um, so there's a lot of research. There's still a lot of information out there. It's still an ongoing issue, right? It's still happening to this day. And it happens in all different types of socioeconomic, educational backgrounds. You know, we talked a lot about like how finances can be a huge issue. That's also another form of, you know, abuse that they try to use over you. Um, so it's it's a it's a very terrible thing to go to. But one I would like to specifically speak on for today is really just talking about how the PTSD, especially when you've gone through lots of physical or emotional abuse, how that actually is going to affect you. Um, Even though you find yourself outside of the situation and you're outside of the relationship and you may be going through a custody battle with them now, or, you know, you're currently not presently engaged in a relationship with them anymore. 
but if you have children, you're tied to them and you're still connected to them in some ways. So you will still be experiencing a lot of that trauma, right? You'll be having a lot of responses to them, especially if you're in a custody battle of some sort right now, or you're still going through legal issues. So Mm -hmm. what I was telling you, um, um, this morning or what we talked about is really just kind of like, how do you find yourself after you have already fled, left a relationship, right? Like, so what do you do? Because when you've been with somebody for so long and they're starting to tell you that it's all about, you know, you're the problem, right? You're, you're the reason why I did this. Well, you know, you're the problem child. You are just causing a fight and then you're, you're gaslighting, you're manipulator, whatever it is to believe that you're the problem. And you know, then you start to question yourself of like, am I really the issue? Is it really me? Mm-hmm. And in heaven forbid, if you're going into a legal issue, if they have their attorneys, they're going to try to point you as like, you're the bad guy. Well, she did this or she did that. I mean, I've seen a lot of cases, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with, and unfortunately when they're in a legal custody situation. Um, and so what I would like to discuss really is like, if you know, how do you know that you're still experiencing some trauma responses, right? Wow. Uh, you know, a lot of people have talked about PTSD and I do feel that a lot of women, once they come out of that, there is some type, if you don't, everybody's on a different spectrum as far as how they respond to the trauma. Um, but how do you know you're responding uh, to a traumatic event? Like, how do you know your body's still not in that flight or fight mode, right? Um, and also, how do you deal with it? So let's talk about how do you cope with it? Because you're still having to deal with it and deal this deal with this relationship on some like level, right? Mm-hmm. So just kind of going over, because I do work with a lot of individuals who have had lots of trauma in conjunction with some severe mental health issues. Not all of them are as severe as others, like I said, but there's always usually anxiety and depression that cripples, right? And to me, I always talk about in therapy, anxiety and depression is like salt and pepper, right? Like they kind of go together. (laughs) It's kind of hard to have one without having the other. Mm -hmm. And so what I like to talk about really, and without getting all of the DSM-5 and all the specifics on that, but just to kind of give you guys like the breakdown of trauma response with when you do experience a lot of physical violence or you witness it a lot, um, so talking about, you know, re- re-experiencing the symptoms, right? Like upsetting memories, the jumpiness, the nightmares, the having the flashbacks. Um, so then that this increases like your depression a lot of times, because if you're having nightmares, you're not going to want to sleep. You might be woken up by a nightmare or some sort, right? Um, and so maybe hard for you to go back to sleep. So your sleep is impacted, affected, or maybe, you know, your appetite gets affected, right? So the feeling of loss of identity, you, you and I talk about that, like when you experience trauma you kind of don't know like really who you are anymore at that point you feel like who am I like now that this is all done and said but who am I as a person mm-hmm. um, you feeling that stuck or that frozen like trapped sense right so then we talk about like the hyper arousal or the uh, hyper vigilance right like feeling irritable the jumpiness feeling um, like you're on high alert or that you're on edge all the time. And even though you are not around that person, you may just be in a grocery store and you may be feeling like they're going to pop out of somewhere, you know, out of nowhere, or, you know, you're always walking to your car in a parking lot and you're always having to watch yourself uh, because you're just very hyper vigilant. Um, mm-hmm. Then once it becomes too much, then your body can then avoid it. Right. So then sometimes we go from being too hyper, uh, hyper aroused to then avoiding things. So like avoiding the symptoms, it's like avoiding the triggers, avoiding conversations, avoiding people, isolating from others, right? Feeling emotionally like numb. Mm. Um, And I think I would also even add up in this category of like feeling like you lost your identity. And I know you and I talked about that. So I'll elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, Forgetting the parts or being unable to talk, right? Like maybe sometimes you're, um, memory can get clouded because you just can't really focus in. Um, And along with, like I said, impaired of the social skills, maybe there may be some co-occurring substance use issue to try to cope with, um, difficulty concentrating, having difficulty connecting with other people. Those all can be signs of like a trauma response, right? And then taking a look at, you know, depression and especially specifically with the anxiety, when when you are always feeling like you're on edge, your body is going to feel it. And so identifying and, you know, like and I had mentioned to you, I sit down with my clients and I ask them, like, where do you feel the anxiety in your body? And they can quickly identify, oh, I feel it in my stomach. 
um, I can't even eat when I'm anxious or I, I eat too much, but I can always feel it in the pit of my stomach. I've had some other clients tell me, well, I feel it in my back um, or I have, I get these crazy headaches. Um, mm-hmm. So every person has a different response and, but the body is, is talking. The body is going to let you know what you're experiencing. Um, depression. I, and I mentioned that to you earlier. So I think that we think of depression as like, a little sad cloud bubble, this little gray rain cloud that just kind of washes over us <laughs> and it just kind of follows us throughout. But you know, depression can also show up as being irritable. Depression can also be as being, you know, aggressive, being snappy. Maybe, you know, it is that you do sleep a lot, but depression can also be in the mood swings of things, not feeling um, that you have any type of joy or any things that used to give you joy, they don't give you joy anymore. So you may be experiencing um, some type of like numbness with your feelings. Um, and you may find yourself on a spectrum, like going back and forth between maybe feeling a lot of rage or anger and then going to not feeling anything. Right. Um, so these are all very common, you know, when you, when you talk about mental health issues, especially when you're dealing with domestic violence, there's a lot of trauma response. There's a lot of depression. There's a lot of anxiety. And going back to answering your question or what you mentioned, how, how can we cope and how can we help when we don't have uh, access to care, right? Because therapy, it can be expensive, um, especially if we're trying to pay out of pocket. Um, so that's why uh, I will encourage that a lot of times when you are trying to find a therapist or you do need the support and you know you may be struggling and you, you need additional support, you do need some professional help. I always encourage everybody, please go out and, and seek it because there are therapists that can do a sliding scale. So you based on your income. So if you don't make a lot, a lot of therapists can um, do it. Like I said, based on your econ- your income, they can then reduce their rate for like per session. So I have a question um, really quickly. Um, what would you actually say are um, like green flags when you're looking for a therapist? Like what would be a question you should ask a therapist when you're trying to figure out if you want to do therapy with them? Sure. So um, I would always say that the, the and we, we know this as therapists, that the uh, number one cause of change is the therapeutic relationship, the therapeutic alliance that you have with your therapist, right? So you definitely want to know and feel that you have a connection with that therapist or that you feel some type of way. Um, I feel like if you, if you can ask some questions of like what they specialize in, if there's any specialty, if they have experience working with that, you know, you can always ask the therapist, what is like your background? Now, of course, every therapist is licensed through their own original state, but every therapist also has a different uh, niche in a sense. You know what I mean? Some are just family therapists. Some of them just work with just couples. Some work with eating disorders. Other ones work with trauma. Um, and so a lot, there's a lot of therapy out there now and a lot of therapists that are, and I think mental health, as far as behavioral health goes, as we know, it's growing, right? It's a growing field. And so they are expanding with insurances. They're trying to get more providers to be in network, um, especially like with the Biden administration has passed like another, uh, uh, excuse me, Laura, I just read up on it recently. I don't know have all the specifics, but basically they're trying to expand out. So that way there are more providers that are in network to be able to provide services uh, to meet the demands for, for people who are interested in seeking therapy. Um, a lot of times you want to ask a question of specifically, and for this purpose, for this audience here, I would say, you know, you want to ask if they have any experience working with trauma um, victims, right? Like trauma. And so, because you want to have a therapist that's going to show you conditional, uh, unconditional positive regard, right? Like they're going to always uh, be there for you. They're always going to support you in the best way, obviously. And um, also I would say that they would be mindful as a therapist of like, their response and how they handle the case with you. And, and you will get that sensing when you do uh, search for a therapist. So that's a, that's a great question when you're out seeking for one is you're gonna make those connections. You're gonna know like, okay, so what what's your experience do you have? And, and like I said, you will know as you talk to your therapist and going on if they'll be able to help you or not. And there are some therapists that I tell you, well, it's not within my scope of practice. I'm not able to really, help you and then you can just move on because you'll know you know um but a lot of times a lot of therapists do have a lot of experience working with trauma um victims trauma you know survivors whatever you know you want to call it so um Mm -hmm. as far as like uh 
I would say you just want to have a therapist that's going to show up, right? Um, they're going to be there for you guys. You know, you want to have a therapist that is going to be able to help you challenge some things, help you process some things. I mean, we do a lot of work, you know, um, when we do therapy, especially on the on this side that I'm sitting at, you know. Um, and there may be sessions where you just feel like you just want to just be able to share because you don't have anything or anyone else to share with. So, you know, you definitely want to be able to feel like you can share, that you can disclose. You want to feel like it's a safe place. Yeah. Really quickly, I wanted to backtrack just for a sec. Um <clears throat> you said something you're like that your body knows. Um do you think that that changes though once you get out of an abusive relationship because like my therapist um talks about uh, a neurological hypersensitivity and how like our body can like sense danger like for example, a safe relationship, you get in a safe relationship and then your body feels anxious and it, you know, has like, uh, it has, it feels anxious and, um, it's because it's like in a safe relationship and then you're, you know, you're kind of hyper aware of everything. Is that a red flag? Is that a red flag? Is that, um, do you think that that's also like how, like, if you believe that your body, um, is our biggest indicator of like, okay, okay, something's wrong. What do you do with that when your body is kind of like misfiring or do you not yeah. think it's misfiring or what do you think? Exactly. So I think if I understand your question, what you're saying is like, once you come out of that and there are different responses to your body. So like, for example, when trauma, right, you start reliving everything like it was still happening, right? So your reality is you still have those flashbacks, you know, you still remember. So it kind of can skew your perception when you have experienced lots of trauma. Um, and that's very common. Um, so I would say that you will, so you have to kind of, in a sense, and this is where the therapist is going to have to come in. You have to kind of recondition your body in a, in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Um, and it's just, for me, I, I, I explain it just so simple as just like in a medical sense. Like, so if your body, um, if you were recently diagnosed with diabetes somehow, so you're going to have to do and maintain and make some tweaks, right. To be able to like uh, support the, the blood sugar that you really want to be. So if you just recently diagnosed, so you're going to have to do some things to make it, to make it change, right? Like to make it to where you can maintain it. Um, so you may like find yourself going, working out and exercising and doing those things, but it, what it is, it's going to take some action. It's going to take some time. Hmm. Um, and, and if coming out of a serious situation, now like I said, every situation is very different um, because there may be some, females or maybe some males out here listening that they actually can just bounce back they may have that support already but what happens when you don't have additional support but so this is where I go into the coping part right like so what are some of the ways that you can cope if you feel like you're still in the state of like I don't know what's my reality I don't know what is um, if I feel like if you feel like you are questioning yourself in a lot of ways and that is where you know okay I'm just in a place where I don't know what is going on with me if i if you start to feel the emotions rise up, all of the feelings come up again, then that is an indicator for yourself that you're still experiencing, right? Like you're still in it mm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and that, and that can be an indicator because if you start to feel like, Oh, I can already see. And this is where you and I talked about before we jumped on the call of like, how do you know, right? Like, how do you know? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, what is real and what's not because when you come out of a situation like that you can like I said you have all types of manipulation going on lots of um mind games that are played against you right and so you kind of you start questioning your reality um so you don't know really like who you are as a person but you it, this is where I said I mentioned earlier like and we've heard it before healing is not like linear so mm -hmm. there may be some good days where you're like man I can conquer the world I'm doing great and then like two or three days later you're reliving everything again you're having nightmares you're maybe having flashbacks um you start to feel a little bit irritable and so those are the things that I mean when I say to that your body's talking so do you do you notice your mood swings do you notice how you feel do you notice any pains in your body physically that you you feel or is your heart racing do you feel like your hands are sweating so there can be some physical reactions even to just an emotional a very strong emotion right yeah and it and it can be experienced without even having no triggers right like there you could just be at work and having a great day and then all of a sudden like you start to feel that 
dark cloud that comes over you. Mm-hmm. You start to remember your hands start to sweat or your heart starts to race or, you know what I mean? Um, or it could be something that reminds you of a certain scent that comes through or something like that. It can just be triggering, right? Um, and you are not around nobody. You could be by yourself or something and then it just happens. And so I do believe that those feelings, and this is what I talk about, especially with my clients, um, I'm a big firm believer on like DBT, CBT, and I, I'll talk about that in my therapy work, but um, having to be able to regulate your emotions. Like, so um, when the waves of the emotions, what I call it, when those strong waves of emotions come like how do you deal with it like how do you cope is it to run to somebody for help even if it's just a conversation we always talk about reaching out to a friend but this is some things that I do and put in my practice where if I'm dealing with something very strong or I'm not in an emotional good state I always reach out to somebody that I know I have on my list that I can reach out to and just be like hey how's your day going Hmm. And they've been with me for a long time. So they know they've been friends with me. They're like, hey, how's it going? Are you okay? You know, they they yeah. have a way of doing if I'm not okay. And I'm like, yeah, I just wanted to talk. And so like, the, I think just even if, even if you don't even talk about what's going on with you, you just have a conversation with somebody, that connection with the other person that you have that's safe for you, that you know that it's a trustworthy, reliable source that even just if you have a conversation about how the weather is going, honestly, that can help you cope. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something very small, but reaching out to somebody, right? So coping, if you feel like it's just too much and you're by yourself or something, reach out to a friend, just text them, be like, oh, hey, how's it going? How's your day about, you know, helping you to distract yourself in some ways to be able to uh, find a way of being connected in the present moment. Because a lot of times when we tra- we, we are traumatized, our minds either, uh, we, what's the word? I'm, I just lost it. When when we we either get very anxious of the future, which I call that future tripping, or we uh, ruminate a lot on the past, right? That ruminating is like, it just keeps o- replaying over and over and over and over again in our head, right? right. Um, so sometimes it's hard to get ourselves out of that state, but what we can do is try to be mindful, right? Be in the present moment and that will help us to to get out of that rumination or that future tripping where you're thinking about the future, what's going to happen. It really is just trying to take a day at a time and just to be present for today. Yeah. Yeah. I think something else that, <clears throat> what do you re- like? So uh, my, I've heard like, and this is something I do is like also um, breathing, like breath work. People always yes. say like, yeah, breath work. And I'm like, yeah, I'll pass. And then like, I, you know, was like desperate at one point. Cause I was like, I feel like I'm walking in a minefield and yes. I cannot take this anymore. And, um, then I ended up practicing breath work. And like, for me, I do like the, uh, four breaths in six, yep. Six breaths. breaths right. Oh, yep. Hold for, or I hold for se- six and then breathe out for seven. And I do this when I, and I don't even like realize sometimes like, oh, I'm about to have like a panic attack. I just feel like you said that random cloud that comes Mm -hmm. over me and I just, I can't really think straight and like, you need to practice your breath work so that you can regulate your emotions and think straight and it works. And I'm like, wow, breath work actually works. Who would have thought? So Yes, because uh, so breathing works because so that's what I mean about your body talking, right? That That's a sign of the body talking to you when you're about to feel that panic attack coming on. That's what I mean. It's like your body's going to respond to it. And so you're going to feel the heart palpitations. You're going to feel uh, very anxious. You're going to feel very tense in your body. And so what happens is when you don't breathe, you start to take shallow breaths right? And that's why breathing is very important. And so you want to breathe into it, right? You want to be able to breathe. And that's why, because the body is trying to regulate itself because the, the body is always trying to bring it back to the homeostasis, right? It's always trying to bring it back down to normalcy to where it is maintained. So when you feel a very high, strong emotion or, or a, such as a panic attack, you start to notice that your breath becomes faster because your heart starts to beat quicker and you're starting to have like shallow breaths. So that's why having to be able to regulate yourself by breathing helps. Mm, yeah. There's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of like research out there. Um, I even show some videos with my clients about what different types of ways to breathe in and breathe out for it um, and giving yourself that pause, right? And also it brings you back to awareness of where you are right now. So being bringing it back to present. Mm. 
being in the present that moment. So helping you breathe, it helps you to bring it back into the present. Okay, I'm here. I've had people tell, I've talked to them, talk to yourself, right? Like, I know it sounds crazy, but like, just talk to yourself as you're breathing. Like, I'm safe. Right. No one here. I'm safe. I am I'm in my room wherever you are. Like I am in my room sitting on a chair, like mm-hmm. trying to talk yourself so that way you can be back into the mindfulness and being present. And that's definitely takes some skills. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, no, for sure. Um, And I think it's a really easy thing that you can uh, apply when you're not able to remove yourself from a situation and, um, you know, you're surrounded around others or you're at work uh, or at a family event or whatever, you know, and you're able to just take that breath work and um, yeah, kind of like be uh, intentional in that moment. Um, I know it's helped me a lot. Um, So kind of just transitioning. um, I'm really intrigued by the conversation of like, you know, you were told for a really long time that you're in the wrong and then you're forced to now advocate for yourself outside of it. And I want to talk about that a bit more. Okay. So, yeah. So a lot of times when you're in a relationship um, that is very abusive on all levels and not just referring to the physical abuse, but also the emotional, the mental abuse, I think the physical and mental abuse can be more damaging a lot of times, right? Um, uh, Because that's where a lot of the malingering effects come from. That's where a lot of that... uh, you know, mind games that are played. Um, And especially when you've been in a relationship for forever, X many years that you've been with this person, um, a lot of times it's always chipping away at you as a person, right? Like it's always going to be your fault. (laughs) It's always, you're the blame. Um, There's always now comes the, and I say always, because a lot of times um, it feels that way. Now, I try to stay away from using like terms like always or never and things like that. But a lot of times in these relationships that you are in, it happens a lot frequent, right? That's why it makes it so toxic. That's why it's so unhealthy. Uh, That's why these relationships are damaging because it's, you are put in a position where you end up, especially an intimate partner, right? Like you, you have a certain feelings for this person. You want to have this relationship with them. You maybe were in the, uh, when you first started dating this person, you can probably still remember what it felt like, what it said, you know, what it was like for you when you first met this person. And I'm pretty sure it was a lot of good feelings. It was a lot of good emotions and you felt really safe with this person at one point. But what happens then when the the relationship takes a turn um, and then that person that you fell in love with or that you really cared about is no longer that person. And then now you find yourself in a very difficult situation, a difficult relationship where it is now very unhealthy. It's very damaging to you as a person. So definitely want to talk about because a lot of t- my work as a therapist, as a clinician is to help people um, help them build them up, build themselves up. Right. And so I don't want to take that Jerry McGrath and like, help me help you. Right. But, yeah. but I, 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 I do believe that that's a lot of reason why a lot of therapists we get into this work to really help build other people because they've gone through so much and mm-hmm. there's been so much events that has happened. And um, for me is really working with individuals, especially when they've gone out and they're coming out of these relationships is who are you now that you're no longer in this relationship? Who are you outside of this now? Like, that's the question that I always ask them. Like, who do you believe that you are now? Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times people don't know. They don't know how to answer that. They, they, a lot of people always ask me, like, I don't know, Melissa. I can't really tell you anymore. I know I was told that I was difficult. I know that I was made to feel like I was a difficult. I was made to feel like I was a problem child or that I was a burden or that I was wrong. My reality was not right. Uh, I was gaslighted a lot of times, you know. And those a lot of tactics they use against you. And it's really just kind of like, in some ways, it's kind of like a warfare that they fight on you, which is like a warfare that they fight to tear you down as a person. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're also so isolated that, you know, um, you are like trying to protect this individual. So people's opinions that don't maybe align, you know, and they're, you know, they don't understand uh, maybe it because it, you are being abused, you're in abuse, but it doesn't look like black and white. It's not like, okay, I have a black guy, I'm being hit, but like there's a lot of emotional abuse and manipulation happening and gaslighting happening. And when you are being isolated, like so many of us are, uh, 
you really feel like you're going crazy. And I've heard so many people in the first couple of seasons, they're like, yeah, I put myself in therapy because I thought I was crazy. Or they're like, I got on medic, like, you know, some sort of medication because like, I thought I was crazy because their reality was being questioned so much because of the gaslighting and abuse. And then once they got out, they're like, I don't know how to function in daily life. And then you realize, oh, I was being abused. And then that light bulb hits, but you're still navigating trying to trust yourself again. And it is brutal. It's like a really, really difficult uh, thing to overcome. I feel like for many people, and it takes a while to like get, get to that point. I'm still not there. And I've been out for like three years. Yeah. It's a very difficult thing. And it goes back to that healing is not linear. Right. Um, and it's going to take some time. Yeah. Um, and I, I know I mentioned here, like, I wish that I could just wave a magic wand with all of my clients that are sitting in my se- my sessions and that all their problems would just dissolve and go away, you know? Right. Um, but it, it's not that reality and it's very hard um, to find yourself. So for me, kind of going back and answering your question about finding a therapist, man, you really want a therapist who is going to definitely advocate for you when you cannot. Mm. They're going to be able to label things when you cannot. They're going to be able to help you process things when you cannot. They're going to be able to give you some education on, hey, man, this is what I, you know, it sounds like this is what's going on. You know what I mean? They're not here to prescribe and a lot of like, you know, prescribe medications or prescribing things, but they are here in some ways to, to describe your experience to say, no, you're not going crazy, <laughs> right? You're not at fault here. Yeah. Um, and we need a therapist, especially that can validate our experience. Mm-hmm. Because um, if you already have been in a relationship with somebody who's constantly invalidating you, it makes you question you. It doesn't make you question them. Well, and I think also, um, you know, the emotional reactivity that comes from being in the abuse for long periods of time, you yeah. may be somebody who, you know, is calm and, and even even killed, but then you continue to go through the manipulation that you start acting out in aggressive ways, or you start raising your voice because you yourself are becoming emotionally reactive. And then you think about those moments, right? And and you're like, oh, like, well, I did I is my wasn't my fault, you know, because I acted this way, or I, you know, I know a lot of people who um I've talked to in the the first couple of seasons, listening to their stories and just how hard it is because they really struggled with, you know, the way they reacted to the abuse after long periods of time. But I'm like, that's normal. Like that's your body. Uh, kind of just like, I feel like it's kind of like, uh, it's in survival mode. So it's trying to protect itself the best way that it knows how. And often I think that comes out in aggression. I don't know what you think, but that's what, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I agree in a, in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I mean, um, I agree in a lot of ways that, you know, we do have that flight fight response, right. In our body. So a lot of times when we feel like we're being under attack, we're going to try to protect ourselves. Right. Absolutely. That's just a humanistic thing. Right. Um, it's to survive. Um, and that's just to, to survive, to protect, to preserve ourselves in a lot of ways. Um, and yeah, like to answer your question. Yes, I think that anger comes out in so many different ways. And I feel like that's also part of like the depression that comes through, too. That's what I was saying, the anxiety, um, the irritability, that trauma response, too. Right. Like, so I feel like it kind of uh, is like the umbrella of a uh, of a lot of other issues that are going on when you are living out or you have lived through a very difficult, very toxic, very unhealthy relationship mm-hmm. as you have contact with this person for every day <laughs> for how many X amount of years that you guys have been together. You are in this person's realm. You're within proximity to them, right? Like on a day-to-day basis, daily basis. Right. And so we don't know how much that we are put up under all that stress and then your body is trying to handle it every day, you know, yeah, every day. Um, and so it, it, it does alter. And I say that's a lot. Sometimes people have had an altered state of reality. Like they, that's part of what they do and what they've experienced is that my partner is trying to alter my reality. Mm-hmm. Especially like, you know, for example, if there is a lot of like cheating that's going on, like a habitual cheater. And you never take any ownership or whatever the case, you find all the evidence. And even if you were to confront them, they're like, that's not me. 
Hmm. <laughs> it yeah. may be me, but it's not me. That's not, that's not, that. I didn't respond that way. That, you know, there's never any ownership or any type of, so then they're the victims because then they flip it. And now you're going through my phone and I have a problem with you going through my phone instead of really addressing what was the real issue. So when you find yourself in those states and those situations where then you are now being questioned or now you're the bad guy, then you're right. going to, you're, you're led to believe that now you're just making things up. Now you're just trying to start a fight. Now you're being the aggressive one. And then when, when you get that, that response, then there's a reaction to that. Cause then you're like, no, I know that this is what I read. I know I found this out. I know it's this. And it, it can bring out that like anger because now you're like, I'm being under attack now. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, 100%. Um, what would you say? So to like transition just a little bit, um, like when you are removing yourself from that situation and you are trying to like, kind of come back to yourself again, um, oftentimes there is not, you know, you don't get like a time off to just heal. Um, and people are, you know, there's, I mean, financial abuse, I think is a very prominent thing. I see like, you know, you don't have a job or you're staying at home with the kids and then all of a sudden you leave and you have no money and you have to build your life from the ground up. And I think that my question is, what would you say to somebody who is kind of in this process right now where they're still questioning, okay, like, is what I experienced real? Like, did that really happen? Because, um, you know, the, the abuser or the person who caused the abuse or, you know, may have been like a habitual cheater, um, often has a community of people who are rallying behind them. And you are the one who's kind of having to like, you know, defend yourself or, um, you know, kind of just even be okay with the fact that like you made the right decision to leave and what you experienced really did happen to you and really was wrong. Um, what would you say to somebody who is like really wrestling with like, did I make the right decision? Uh, did I imagine that? Did that really happen? Like, what would you say to them? Uh, okay. So that is a very good question, right? So yeah. when if somebody is questioning and they're in my therapy session and the client is actually questioning whether or not what they experience is right or what they end up, if they ended up making the right decision. Um, mm -hmm. Um, a lot of times when you come out from like one situation and you're into a situation where you now are no longer in, it's always going to take a like a, a, an adjustment period. So my first thing is going to always be like, well, you know, I, I don't necessarily like give the advice on, on that because that's not what therapy is. But I will say that what I usually always do to try to help people in those situations where they're questioning their reality or they have a lot of questions they don't know is I go back to what they told me. Um, so, and really it's kind of in some ways like fact checking for them, mm -hmm. right? Like, so if you told me that this is what happened and this, so this is your experience, right? So I go back to what it is that they experienced. So what was like, and I always end up asking like, so what was your experience? Like, tell me about that. Like, what did you experience while you were going through this? Um, and it definitely reminds people like, okay, well, I, this happened. Yeah. So you experienced that. So that is your reality. Your, your experience mm -hmm. is your reality. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's, it's not coming in in a judgmental way. It's not coming in to, you know, attack the other person in any type of way, but it is a way to validate like that, that person's experience. Right. Uh, because the other person is going to have a different response. They're going to have a different story of what happened. And then you have your own experience. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like validating the experience is very, very, in a way, it's, it's, it's helping to heal in a lot of ways because um, you, when you've been in a situation, and we all have been, where our family either invalidates us, that's where we start to question. So how build that is to validate that person. So it's the opposite action of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's something that um, my therapist, he says a lot too. He's like, yeah, 
Um, especially like, <clears throat> you know, in court, we were talking about this before we started recording, like, you know, how to navigate all of these, um, you know, doubts you may have about your own perspective when you're in <clears throat> the middle of court, because, you know, I've learned the very hard way that, uh, really nobody is going to advocate for you unless you advocate for yourself. Like even when you're finding a lawyer, um, knowing what to say, knowing your story, being able to like explain it and to be able to articulate yourself well, like those things go a long way in trying to find a lawyer, people taking you seriously and, um, testifying in court, like, and, um, you know, remaining even keeled, all of these things. And so, um, I think just, you know, it's challenging, like when you're, um, needing to go like, for example, into court and you are needing to, um, defend yourself and advocate for yourself, but there's like so much doubt in your mind. What would you say to somebody who, um, is going through this process? Cause I know just like most recently I was in the middle of, I mean, I'm, I'm currently in a custody battle with my, for my child. And I don't know how much, you know, of like my story, but my ex-husband, he's a, I have like tape recordings of him confessing to basically like sexual obsessions about several children and he is a predator and um, it only goes so far in court because they kind of want like, you know, I need like, well, they want to catch it in the moment and have, you know, a child be injured for uh, him to be, you know, I don't know, added to an, a sex offender list. I really don't understand it. And uh, we sit through court and he's so composed and almost like the kind of like the person that I feel like I'm originally married, like always trying to get back to that person. Like while we were married, like, okay, I know I've seen him be this person, but now he's this person. And then you get out and then in front of others, he is that person again. And then I'm like, wait, I'm here advocating for myself. Right. Um, my lawyer is advocating for me, but, um, nobody, in the system is really uh listening or you know supporting what i'm doing and i'm being questioned and then it really like makes people's heads spin when they're in court trying to advocate for their child um it's like a loaded thing but i don't know like what you would say to somebody because i know there's a lot of people listening who are in currently in court custody battles right now yeah so when it comes to like the legalities and the court systems and things like that it is very hard to kind of navigate that piece because you do have an attorney and that's more where the attorney needs to be advocating uh, for you as far as like your stories and things like that but kind of just kind of re reaffirming what you already said is like trying to make sure that you advocate for yourself um, in, a, in the best way you can for you and for your children you know um, and especially um if there is no substantial evidence and things like that, like to where, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a hard battle. I mean, it's not going to be an easy answer. I don't really know if there's really a, a perfect answer to answer that question, but more on like when it comes to legality of things, you really have to have that communication with like your, your attorney, especially if you have one that is in court. Um, like I said, I try to stay away from all of those types of questions because I do know that there's every case is so different. And, you know, you know, I don't want to misspeak or misplace because I'm definitely not in a practice to for any type of law or anything like that. But um, I think it's just being able to regulate yourself too. I mean, compose yourself as well, especially when you are in front of the court systems is you have to be able to get yourself in a good space um, and be able to say what you need to say, be able to be right there in that present moment, despite of how, like, I know it's very scary and it's very hard when you feel like no one else is listening and the court is not hearing what you are saying, despite that you have all this evidence and proof and things like that. So I would just say to the person, you know, you have like whatever the case is, because, you know, we don't know what the rulings are, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And we don't know when we're in a custody battle, we're in a, um, a like, like legal issues and how that kind of plays out in courts. But you definitely want to be able to speak your truth. You definitely want to be able to, um, like I said, advocate for yourself in ways for, for, for in that way, talk to your attorney about it and then go from there and see what they counsel you on as far as that goes. Um, I think this is for me, because as I said, that's a, that's a different question separate from what, what I do as a clinician. But for me, as a therapist, 
this is why I, I, you know, encourage people, if you can find a good therapist, that's going to really validate your experience because even just going through all that legal issues, that's what really causes a lot of stress. Right. Um, and all of that, you can't always disclose every case to anybody, right? Because, you know, the case is still open. So, you know, with the confidentiality that you have with your therapist, you'll be able to like really process that. And I feel like you need as much support when you're going through so much things that is chaotic like so, that when you're going yeah. through a legal issue. Yeah. So I know that you were saying like, this isn't necessarily like your main, like you don't primarily focus on this necessarily this aspect, but I guess, would you be able to like, say maybe some like exercises that somebody should do after, you know, like when they're experiencing this, when their head's spinning and they're like, you know, am I wrong? Am I right? Um, and they start to kind of spiral what would be ways to help them stop spiraling? And I know you said validating your experience and saying, okay, this is what I went through. This is what I experienced. And like, even if you need to write it down, like this happened, this happened, this happened, you know, is there anything else you would say to help um, individuals like regulate themselves? Yeah. So like, you know, when you find yourself in a situation like that, um, I definitely would say, try to prepare yourself mentally headspace, right? So like giving yourself the, not try to avoid the feelings, you know, but to actually really feel that what you're feeling. Um, and because once we try to avoid it, I think it causes more problems later for us, right? Like it ends up showing up somewhere else. So, you know, you have to experience it. You have to notice your thoughts. You have to notice your feelings, notice like what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, you know, and saying like, I am feeling anxious right now. Sometimes giving it a name helps it to minimize it, right? Like how, you know, when you, when you know, let's say, for example, you have like a very important date um, and you just, you're or an interview or something that's going to cause you to be nervous. Sometimes like saying, I am very nervous about uh, X, Y, and Z, or I'm very anxious, you know, and kind of putting it out there. If you tell somebody, if you have a friend you can talk to, those are great things to always discuss that with, you know, somebody having somebody else in your corner where you don't feel alone. Um, breathing, right? Like we talked about that, how to regulate that is by the breathing, trying to concentrate on this, focusing on your senses. Like, what do you see? What do you smell? Uh, what do you, what do you hear? Um, especially when you are in that moment where you feel like you don't know what's your reality is to get yourself back into, okay, what am I noticing? I'm noticing colors in the room. I'm noticing this. And it helps you to be able to shift your focus along with the breathing. Um, if you have a journal, I mean, you can journal it down. Um, you know, it just depends on every situation. Some people really love to listen to music and that helps them. Mm. You know, um, singing and helping and writing, those are all engaging in your senses, right? Seeing something, hearing something, smelling something. Um, and that that's where I always practice my clients, like, especially like my kiddos, you know, like, what do you see when you get to, what do you hear? Like, what are you noticing? Like, are you, you know, oh, I, I see somebody wearing like a pink hat, right? Like, and it helps you to kind of get out of that state. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good to know. Cause I know that it's, it's really hard for people to cope, you know, after, cause they just experienced uh, so much triggers. I think also really quickly, just for people listening, um, something that I practiced in my last hearing was, um, I had had like, uh, a weighted, like blank, like just a blanket. And I like folded it a few times and I had it on my lap, um, during the court hearing. And I was really worried because the previous hearing, I, um, I broke down at the judge's like verdict. I cried in court and she was not happy about that. Like she wasn't happy with me that I was reactive. And I really worked very hard on trying to compose myself for the next hearing because it is very triggering to like, you know, your abuser again. And like you said, all of the bodily, my body was reacting. I couldn't even, I couldn't control what my body felt, but I could control how I, you know, use the tools I had to, you know, regulate my emotions in that moment. And I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't like, you know, go to the bathroom. I had to sit there. And so I had this like weighted blanket on my lap. And um, something that was so profound is um, a mentor of mine. She said, keep your phone on vibrate and put your phone under the blanket on your lap. And every time you feel a text, like the vibration, it's going to be a reminder that um, you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, okay, you know, I'll try it, but I didn't really, you know, and my phone would just vibrate, vibrate, vibrate so much throughout the hearing. And I remained composed that entire time. And every time I felt my body starting to, you know, panic and I felt that danger, I was reminded, okay, like I am safe. Like 
I am not alone. And it just, I don't know, for people listening, it just, it really helped a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Getting a weighted blanket. I've had people like to have a stuffed animal that they <laughs> still remember they have. Sometimes. Yeah. So you can't bring that in court or whatever, you know what I mean? Um, unless you have it in your bag, but like, you know, even those little fidget things, uh, like I know they're like really popular with kids, but it's a lot of things too, like, you know, stress balls or things like that. Like all these, there's new little poppet things that you can do, um, to kind of help you distract yourself to get yourself in a state, a better state, you know? especially, uh, you know, every situation is very different. So for me, definitely when I'm working with clients, it's always very individually based, right? Because every client's different. Mm -hmm. Um, And not like a weighted blanket for you is going to work for you, but it may not work for somebody else. You know what I mean? Um, So for me as a therapist, as a clinician, what I try to do is I always work and I meet, you know, uh, we always try to plan and we have these goals and things like that, that it is to, to meet the individual at where they're at, like what they like, what their interests are, you know, and this takes like time for you to kind of, because it's also for you on the other end, you're probably like trying to figure out what it is that really can help you calm down, mm-hmm. but what, what can really like regulate you. Um, I know for me, um, if I can, I mean, obviously I can't bring my Peloton bike, but I have a Peloton bike now. <laughs> and so I love that. Like that, that little thing, like it's, it's fun for me. Um, I know for me as a person, an individual, like for me, I try to do, I try to incorporate a lot of fun, especially when I'm going through a lot of stress. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to have a breakdown. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have a bad day or that we're not going to ever feel anxiety ever again. Um, there's always going to be some new situation that rises. So we have to learn how to like regulate ourselves. You know what I mean? Um, and for me, it's, it's some people isolate and they they're okay with that and some people like to share their story and like you're saying like um helping you bring it back to being present like um even sometimes just coloring um i've just done like those little uh coloring uh what is it called those uh gosh it slipped my mind i use it all the time mandalas there you go um and so like you just start coloring those things and they some of them are very intricate um uh, just being in that present moment i think that that will definitely help you. Um, and, and if it's to help you focus away, for example, like for you that you've gone into court and a lot of um, listeners on the call, like if they are in a proceeding of a court hearing, bring something that's going to comfort them, right? Like that's going to self-soothe them in type of way that they can bring. Whether it is like listening to your AirPods and music in between, whether it is for you to just to text a friend to tell them, hey, I'm about to go into this. And then they can text you. They can remind you like, hey, you're going to be OK. It's going to be oh, all right. You're going to get through it. Right. Like if you need those words of encouragement, um, I've had people like write little on index cards, you know, like little mantras for themselves. Right. Like some self-affirmations and it helps them. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can do this. And, you know, I've had, you know, clients where I've told them like, write it down, you know, like um, <laughs> I recently had a client that, you know, she struggles with a lot of just like, uh, like insecurity and just uh, lots of like trauma um, with her as well. But like, she just struggles with a lot of insecurity. And so a lot of times it's like building her up. Like, you know, you, I told her like, you have to have like your inner snoop dog sometimes come out. Like, I want to thank me <laughs> for showing up. Yeah. I want to thank me for doing all the work. <laughs> yeah, Sometimes, yeah. And I love that. And she's like, you know, almost said that it made her laugh. But I was like, she's like that. I was like, you gotta have like your inner snoop dog come out sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, we have to be our biggest cheerleaders in, in so many ways in life because we have had so many people that have come against us. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that I've learned how to be my biggest cheerleader in a lot of times because, you know, there just have had so many people in my past that, just have been against me that have tried to tear me down that have put me into some bad situations that I, you know, um, and I've had to learn how, there you go. And it's not just even so advocating yourself for like the legal system. It's also just affirming yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think self-talk is, is so important. And like, I think we don't realize um, like how negative sometimes our self-talk is uh, and how brave it is like to be, overcoming and going through what we are and, and being able to say like, yeah, like I showed up today and like pat yourself. I like, all like, and I do like a lot of yoga and like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, my teacher will always say like, you know, uh, affirmations, like I am strong or she'll say like, be proud of you, be proud of yourself for showing up today on this mat. And I started to have these like affirmations and it, it's, I mean, like you being able to like stand by yourself, like stand with yourself and be like, okay, like I am proud of myself, like good on me for showing up, good on me for whatever. Like, I think that it really changes things when you fix the narrative and like start to kind of like 
you know, be your own cheerleader for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, being your, like you said, your biggest supporter. And you asked me about that. Like, how do you advocate that? I, I think it goes like both ways because I feel like it's not just advocating in yourself and whatever, if you are currently going to a legal issue um, in that you will have to advocate yourself for in that custody battle or that legal issue that you're going through. Um, but it's also like advocating for yourself too, that, you know what, whatever happens, like I am going to be okay. Right. Like I can do this. Um, I can do hard things. I've been doing hard things. Yeah. Right. Like I've been doing it and it's been hard. It has not been easy, but I've, I've been doing it. Um, and I'm also a firm believer on like, we're not an island. No, no person is one island. Um, and I feel like you definitely have to reach out, especially in very difficult times, uh, reaching out to support groups, reaching out to, if you know, you are spiritual or religious faith and background, like reaching out to that, reaching out to your family and friends that you can trust. Um, and, and also that, that helps you to remind yourself that, yeah, you're not like alone and you feel refreshed, right? Cause you also have to have times that are like downtimes. I call that when you can just sit there and just sit. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's hard for trauma survivors to sit still. Yeah, they can't. Yes. So that's where you really want to, you know, go into like you were saying about like therapy that you will be able to, if you find a good therapist, they will be able to help you sit with it sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know, they'd be able to help you identify how to cope with it, right? Like then how to validate yourself, like how to, how to build you, that's where you go back to the business of building you up when you've been torn down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, um, I'm a big Brené Brown fan too. So oh, like, I, I do, I love her too. Uh, and I think she's from Houston, Texas. So it's just a probably a Texas thing, I think. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I love her. You know, she has this braving model. I mean, I've used that many times. And it's like, I don't know if you've heard of uh, that. I have, yes. Um, yes. The boundaries, the reliability, the accountability, the fault, the integrity, the non-judgment, the generosity. So a lot of times right? When you start to set those boundaries and things like that, you could go back to what you asked me about, like, how do we know what a reality is? I kind of go back to that braving model, right? Mm. Are the boundaries being set? Is it safe, right? Do you want to kind of What's really a- get into that really quick? Like just, yeah. But yeah, because I, I listened to a podcast episode on that last year and I was like, wow, this is like a game changer. So if you want to go ahead and just talk about that a little bit, I think people. Yeah. Will- so this is definitely on Brene Brown's work. Um, I've used a lot of her work too in the past in my private practice I do now, but also when I used to work at a clinic at an disorder clinic too, we, we use a lot of the braving model, but it, it it's so applicable to like all different scopes of family relationships, dynamics. Um, so it's on the braving model for braving inventory. It, it's on uh, braving stands for boundaries, reliability, accountability, vault, integrity, non-judgmental, and generosity. And on the boundaries, setting boundaries, making it clear what's okay, what's not okay, and why, right? Uh, reliability is on what you do, you will say what you do, right? Like, so if somebody says, I'll be there at one o'clock, well, they're going to be reliable and be there at one o'clock. Mm-hmm. Um, they're able to deliver on the commitments that they're setting, mm-hmm. right? Um, the accountability is owning up to your, I mean, that's what it is. You're owning up to your mistakes. You can apologize and you can make repairs. I call that in therapy, make amends, make a pair repairs. Um, vault, when you, you share information or experience that are not yours to share, that you need to be able to keep that in confidence, right? And keep it in secret. Because a lot of times too, so this one, especially when we're in a toxic relationship, sometimes they don't have that fault. And you try to tell them something that you had that was in your personal story. And then they weaponize that information against you later. Mm. Yeah. Right. Um, integrity. It's uh, choosing your courage over your comfort, right? What's right over what's fun, what's fast and what's easy. So practicing your value. So um, I, as my therapeutic work, I do work at an act therapy, which is a value-based driven therapy model um and so I do talk a lot about like what matters to you what's important to you because whatever that is you're going to always find that the actions are going to follow right what right after what you what's important for you mm-hmm. so for example for your values if it's if it's for you it's like I um, you know value my 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 children so you're going to have those actions of like I value my children I'm going to take them out I'm going to go and take them to Disney World or whatever it is right so you whatever matters to you as a person because we all have values every every single one of us our values are all different, but every person has a value system. Mm-hmm. So whatever is important to us, we're going to have those actions that are going to follow behind it. 
Um, and then moving on to non-judgmental is ask for what I need and you can ask for what you need. So we can talk about how we feel without being judging, right? Like there's no judgment here. And then the last is generosity, extending the most generous interpretation to intentions, words, and actions of others. So being generous, right, to others people's experience, their, right, their reports, um, trying to also be generous with their actions. If you, and then it kind of goes back to like what matters to you, right? Like what's important. So that is on her braving inventory. Um, it's she has a whole book on it. I it's called Dare to Lead, um, and I read it. It's a great book. Yeah, I haven't listened to it, but I have, I think she has a podcast. She stopped her podcast, but she had a podcast called Dare to Lead as well. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I, oh yeah, she does. Yep. You're right. She does have the podcast. Yep. Yeah. It's Dare to Lead. And I think it's also Unlocking Us. And then, uh, I don't know. So yeah, I know I read the book. It's been some time, but I think it says it's a good place to start, especially when you're trying to be on the healing to, you're on the journey to healing. So Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love it. Do you feel like, okay. I feel like we went all over the place, but I think all of it was super good because I think, um, there's just a lot of little sprinkles of gold here that people are going to take and pick up and, uh, be able to apply to their life. Do you have anything else you want to like talk about in the last 10 minutes? Um, let's see here. No, I, I think, um, I think I just really wanted to talk about the coping. I think we went over that depression, anxiety, the trauma responses. I think the only thing uh, maybe that I could talk about is like how, what ways can therapy help? Yeah. Um, so I think the thing about me, especially like I said, because I'm not so much on the legal side, I don't know really all of that, but I can say like, as far as like how therapy can help, it's like you're having somebody who can validate right you have somebody else who can um advocate for you in some ways um when you find a therapist it is the like i said we talk about that the the therapeutic for change is really like the relationship the therapeutic alliance that you have with your therapist that rapport that you build it's another way of support system it's another way of connecting with somebody who is non-judgmental who is going to hold safe space for you to be able to share and disclose your story and, and affirm you know and validate your experience um and I think that those are the ways that uh a therapy is 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 beneficial for you if you can find one like I said definitely want to be able to have a connection with them uh you want to be able to build a good rapport if you can and you're going to feel it you're going to know it you're going to sense it um you should be able to share your experience you should be able to share um your your life story uh, and I think that, you know, it's also helping you in finding ways to deal with how to cope with there's treatment plans sometimes, you know, that are built on like your goals and what are you trying to accomplish for yourself? Um, and I feel like those are all ways of trying to advocate for you, building yourself back up when you've experienced such like devastation. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, uh, it also like helps you, um, because I think it's really hard to trust people after you leave. And so um, I know for me, like I was very skeptical of my therapist, just in general, just a therapist. Um, mm -hmm. I actually had a male therapist. I still do. And I, I was like, yeah, I don't, I only want a woman. Like, that's all I want. But he is actually um, specializes in domestic abuse mm -hmm. and um, he is a pastor as well. And um I mean, he has like changed the game for, for me, like, and I feel like it's restored even a lot of like my own, you know, the lie, I believe that there are no good godly men. Um, and he has like spoken so much truth into me and is an incredible, incredible therapist. And it's helped me to invest that time in myself, right? Like, you know, realizing that like, I, um, didn't cause the trauma, but like, I still have the responsibility to heal. And if I want to cultivate a life and a future, um, it, this is not sub sustainable for me to be constantly feeling like I'm in a minefield every single day. And then now having a therapist for the last couple of years and consistently, you know, building this relationship and having somebody who advocates for me, um, and some of it I could go back to and say, okay, you know, my mind feels really jumbled and he's like, okay, this is what happened to you. 
This is what, you know, and it's built, rebuilt a lot of trust that I feel like I lost. And uh, somebody who is like, you know, trustworthy, but also is going to defend you and be able to like advocate for you is everything after you leave a situation like this, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And that's, that's always like, you always know when you find the right, therapist. you know what I mean? When it's a good fit. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, it just makes me, it just reminds me of why I got into the work that I do, um, why I'm here, right? Like a lot of times we do want to be able to help and transform people. Um, and it, 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 it is, you're right. It is based on trust, just like anything else. Um, and kind of going back to that Bravey model, that, that's what that Bravey model is. It's, it's based on seven key trust elements, right? Um, so definitely, uh, I always encourage people for mental health. I'm, I'm definitely a much of an advocate for mental health and therapy and getting counseling. Cause I feel like that's part of, for me in a lot of ways that is like self-care, but it's also, um, you know, a self-care one-on-one. Right. Um, and people do find the healing. People do find the hope people do find a different life outside of, you know, what they've experienced prior. Yeah. Melissa, thank you so much for, uh, for joining me today. I, I personally just feel really encouraged by this and, um, kind of like reminds me, I think it reminds you what you do and reminds me why I do what I do. And Mm -hmm. I think this is what this whole season is about is like, I want people to leave this, not necessarily feeling extremely triggered, but being like, okay, like that's why I do this. Or that's why, you know, I feel this way or, oh, maybe, maybe I am depressed or maybe that's why I actually have rage, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, being able to figure that out. Or, you know, maybe I really do need a therapist and I can't do this on my own. Um, So I hope that for those listening that you, you got something from this and that you are able to apply it to your life and to just know that like, you are not alone. And that um, while it's, it's, strenuous and it's difficult. And like uh, Melissa said, healing is not linear and it definitely is possible. And, and it's, you're so capable of it. And I think that while it may take time, um, I think it's a beautiful process coming back to yourself. And I think even for me, just feeling like I am almost better than I was before. Um, like while I miss that girl that I used to be sometimes, I know that like what I have learned and like, just the amount of like, I think when you heal the desire to just understand like why things are happening and to have more of an understanding of like, you know, your body and awareness of how you feel and all these things like intentionality with yourself, like you are learning so much. It's a really beautiful process coming back to yourself. And I'm just grateful that you were willing to come on here and, and share this with so many people and are doing that in your own work. Um, I can hear it within you. You know, I talk to a lot of therapists and like, I, sometimes like, I don't know, I don't necessarily feel like a connection and that's not like a bad thing, but I think I just don't always connect with them. And I think with you, I can just hear your heart behind what you do and just like so much wisdom and so much knowledge in you. And like, I don't know, I just really admire you and I can only imagine the way that your patients are growing. So. Oh my gosh. Thank you. That's like the highest compliment that anyone has ever given me. And I will, I received that. Thank you so much for saying that. No, truly. Um, All right, guys. Well, tune in um, next week. Next Thursday, we have another episode. Um, And if this podcast has, you know, impacted you, um, you can go ahead and go to Spotify and rate it. And then you can also go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. Thanks, guys.